You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. That was awesome uh, being able to be there in Orlando for the World Discipleship Summit. And it's just so great for us to be back here. We haven't been here for a while. So um, awesome to be back. Uh, my wife, Dustin, and I, if you're new to the fellowship, uh, we've served in this ministry here over 20 years. And uh, we were able to take a, a sabbatical. So we were gone for a few months. And uh, I have so much to share with you from that time. So many ways that God, I feel like, spoke to me and things I learned. I feel like I'm brimming with stuff to share. But Definitely not going to share much today about that, but it'll be for the next seven years until our next sabbatical, we'll be sharing, <laughs> sharing that. But it was really awesome. And we were not supposed to be watching the live stream, but we did a lot, actually. We <laughs> so it was really cool. We felt like we were part of you, and we watched other live streams, and we visited other parts of the L.A. church. Uh, and it, it was just really great, really refreshing, and really awesome. But uh, the last uh, few weeks, all of us have been doing something different. As, uh, as Casey and Michelle shared, we were doing house churches. And some of us were in Orlando for this uh, gathering called the World Discipleship Summit. So if you're new, uh, again, or if you're a visitor, I just want to, today's a little bit different uh, service in that we're going to be sharing about that and kind of continuing that, uh, the buzz of, of fellowship, of international fellowship from around the world. But uh, so, so don't, we don't want you to feel like you are not included, though. That's, we're just kind of bringing some news from a distant land for you. So a few people are going to be sharing about the summit and being there. And the goal is just to, to realize what we're part of. That's, it's an international uh, connection that we can have, which is really, really cool. So uh, the International Church of Christ, which is what we're a part of, uh, is uh, our fellowship is around the world. It's in more countries um, outside the U.S. than even in the U.S., uh, 700 or so congregations. And uh, the International Church of Christ is uh, kind of a, a, a branch out of the Restoration Movement, which started at the turn of the century, not to the turn of this past century or the century before, but back in the early 1800s was the Restoration Movement, which was a unity movement among churches in America, started here in America, with the, the goal of just returning to New Testament Christianity, uh, trying to let go of some of the traditions and some of the, uh, the, the kind of things that are not necessarily even in the Bible. And let's get united on the things that are in the Bible. Let's just get back to just the Bible and just the scriptures. And so that's what we're still a part of, you know, a couple hundred years later. Uh, and uh, our movement was a campus ministry movement that uh, came about in the churches of Christ that, that, that are still, there's still a lot of churches of Christ all over America. And then it really grew and uh, was, was happening there in Florida. And then the, the headquarters kind of moved to Boston and then spread all around the world. Those of us who, how many of you guys were in this church in the 90s? Raise your hand if you were part of this church. Okay, so you guys remember like the evangelization proclamation. We're going to try to plant a church in every city of the world with at least, a, uh, every, every nation in the world with at least a city of 100,000. And, and uh, so by the year 2000, we were in all these countries, and God really did all this stuff, spread us all around. And so now it's really cool to see now what God has been doing, you know, a couple decades later in, in these churches and all these other countries. And so this, this World Discipleship Summit, we were trying to do it in 2020, and we all know what happened, right? And so it was awesome to be able to finally have this conference. And uh, there was roughly about 11,000 people there in person. About another 6,000 people watching online, as they mentioned in the, uh, in, 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 the, uh, in the video we just saw. I was able to be there for, I was a part of 
I played my guitar in like 16 sessions, uh, 16 different over nine days. So rather in the past, we'd kind of all be together. This was sort of spread out. And so we had kind of a house band and I was in, in both of these house bands. So this picture, uh, I'll show you, I'm right over there. I'm just kind of the old guy over here on the corner. And then a lot of young people. And then our, our best friends, Marshall and Sean Mead, are at the end over there waiting to come on and welcome people. This is one of the sessions, I think the family session. So there's all these sort of different conferences happening at once. And so in nine days, I played in, in you know, it was kind of like having 16 worship services in nine days. So it was a lot. But it was really fun and really amazing and really awesome and, and inspiring just to connect with everybody and be reminded of, of who we are and what we're a part of. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the, the title of, our, of the lesson, as I'll get into later, is Feast and Family, because I feel like it was a feast of fellowship and family being together. So uh, before I continue, uh, I'm going to have a few people share about their experience at the World Discipleship Summit. So we're going to have, uh, you, you'll see their names on the screen. We're going to have Owen Thomas first share. Also, I got to say, as a dad, uh, that was awesome, Cora. Great job leading us, and we're going to miss Cora. She's my beautiful daughter. There's a few other uh, graduates who are going to be moving on to college life. I see Andy's going, Caleb's going, Aiden's going. Stand up if, if you're like leaving and, and going somewhere else so we can all say we love you. So um, South Bay is always your home, so you're just going a little ways away, some of you farther than others, but please come back and uh, bring us news. So. Turn it over to Owen Thomas. All right, I got three minutes, so I'm going to jump right into this. Uh, first and foremost, the thing that I loved about being at the conference was just seeing all the people from all the nations. It was so cool seeing everybody, and especially when you all meet together and seeing everybody singing. I'm not the most emotional guy, but there were definitely two or three times where I teared up just hearing the songs and seeing everybody singing, which was really cool. Uh, but we went and did the uh, youth and family track, and so I would just want to share a couple things that impacted me. First, from a, a married lesson that was done uh, by a couple, uh, Chris Zillman and his wife from Denver, and the lesson was entitled The Grace-Filled Marriage. And he made a couple points that I just wanted to share with you marrieds. Um, giving grace should be like giving someone a gift that you picked out specifically for them. And he went on and talked about how he had this gift that he picked out for his wife, and he was all excited to give it. And he's like, in grace, uh, in our marriage, that's what grace should be like. He talked about how we married sinners, and we chose to do that, so we all need grace from one another. And this was the part that really stood out to me, was he said that um, grace has nothing to do with our marriage, but it's about our discipleship and our relationship with God. And I thought that was really cool. Um, so then where there was also a teen track, and so my wife and I being teen workers, we dumped in on some of the teen lessons. And for you teens and parents of teens, there was one lesson that really stood out. Well, there are a lot of them, but this was the lesson I think that impacted me the most. It was um, given by Nick Glang, who was the son of uh, Anthony and Song. He used to be uh, on the west side, but they now live in Hawaii. And his lesson was entitled Media, Your Brain, and Robots. And it was all about the effect that social media and apps and our phones can have on us. Um, and so here are some things that uh, he talked about. He said the apps and games on our phone are created to be addictive. They're purposefully set up so that we can get addicted to them. Yep. Cell phone use can create a dopamine or can create dopamine and thus can be numbing and addictive, which we've all seen. Um, this was interesting. Social media has no stopping cues. 
They're designed to keep you attached and using. He gave the example of casinos in Vegas where there's no lights, there's no, there's no windows, you don't know what time it is. Your phone and, and these social media apps are set up in the same way. And then this was, I think, the thing that impacted me the most from his lesson was he said, the overstimulated mind is easily manipulated. And our phones are set up to cause that overstimulation yeah. so that the advertising can send us their messages and cause us to do what they want us to do. So keep that in mind, teens. The overstimulated minds are easy, easily uh, manipulated. I, I loved it. We had a great time. I'm so glad to be back, but it was awesome. If you guys get a chance to go in four years, please do. It'll change your life. Thank you. Thanks, Not as tall as Owen. Oh, no. Nearly. Oh, gosh. Okay. Hi, guys. I'm Megan, um, and I'm the social media girly of South Bay, and that's definitely how I introduced myself at the World Discipleship Summit the whole time, um, mostly because I went into the World Discipleship Summit excited just to see everybody and, you know, listen to some lessons, but, and so... For some of you guys that don't know, South Bay had a booth at the exhibition little thing or whatever. I don't know what to call it, but uh, some businesses had some little booths or whatever, but we decided to have a booth because we were like, we're going to rep South Bay. We're just going to do it, right? And so we created some merch. So we had some like totes, we had pens and some stickers because we know what the youth want, right? And so I was thinking like, oh, it's going to suck being at this booth all day, whatever. But it ended up being literally the best part of my experience there. Um, Janae, me, and my butlers were there most of the time. And I think I really saw God move because people came for the totes, but they like stayed for the conversations that we got to have with them. Uh, we just had like young people flocking and we would just see like throughout the conference, everybody wearing South Bay totes. And I was like, period, y'all don't even know. Like, like y'all don't even know like this fellowship, but I just felt like, wow, it's so cool to just see like the love and the warmth of South Bay just like radiate throughout this conference. Um, and just how much you guys have poured into this church to see that overflow um, in, this, in that whole entire place was just super cool. Um, and to see young people be like, what are you guys doing? Like, why are you guys here? And we're like, we don't know, but we're just here to have conversations. Um, so anyways, that was just how I saw God work. Um, so I'm really grateful for that opportunity to just meet people, all the young people just having conversations and older people loved the totes too. So we were like, period, this is for everybody. Um, so yeah, anyways, that's just how I saw God work. It was a great time for community and all of that. So thanks. How's it going? I'm Aiden. And uh, so I just want to start off by what impacted me the most at Orlando. And it was a lesson by uh, Kyle Plum. Some of you guys may know him. He's a, he's a campus minister in the San Diego Church of Christ. And uh, he spoke on the lesson. Oh, the title of his lesson was called The Truth. And um, he, he started off by saying uh, the statement like, Satan tempts you by attacking the truth. But it's not it's not the truth of the world. It's not what's right or what's wrong. It's God's truth. And what he really separated was um, uh, just men who go after their own heart and want them to feel good and men who go after God's own heart. And he, he, he stated how men who go after God's own heart preserve and proclaim the truth no matter what the cost is. So I thought about that. And he also asked a question. He's like, what, is, what does your truth matter? Like, you got to focus on God's truth. 
throughout your whole life. So that really convicted me throughout the, throughout the time during the whole conference, and I was just questioning about it, and I still do. But um, so, yeah, and then uh, now that I got that out of the way, I could get to the fun part. So, uh, so uh, uh, one thing that was really awesome is uh, I got to connect with people from the San Antonio ministry down in Texas, and they were so inviting. They were uh, inviting me to, like, hop in their car and drive around with them, and, um, well, it wasn't their car. It was kind of like a U-Haul. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I kind of just hopped in the back, and we went around to different diners. Uh, sorry, I'm kind of outing like this. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. Um, so, forget I said that, but, all right, all right. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. So, um, so one thing great about the Texas ministry is there was this one sister. Uh, she wasn't baptized yet, but she wanted to get baptized at the conference. And she was going to get baptized uh, in the pool at, okay. Okay. Uh, she was going to get baptized in the pool around like 10 at night. But there was, it was thundering. It was storms. But uh, nothing was going to stop this girl from getting baptized. She, was, she got baptized in a bathtub in one of the suites. So uh, that was really inspiring just to see her faith and how she, nothing was going to stop her. So, yeah. <laughs> I know, dang, get off the stage. Um, <laughs> I'm Cora, and uh, I was so lucky to be able to go to the Vision, um, the campus track. Uh, it was so, it was really, really fun. Um, I loved that it was um, geared towards me. I think since I got baptized at like such a young age, um, most of my lessons that have been like geared towards my age have been like about getting me to study or like be interested in God. So it was really cool to have like lessons geared towards like someone, you know, on a campus like and just trying to spread their faith. And um, I think what was also so inspiring is like, um, I think one of Satan's biggest tactics is to make you feel like you're fighting alone. Um, and I think it was just so cool to see people from all around the world. Um, and, like, they're singing the same songs as you. Um, they're all fighting the same fight. And it was just so encouraging, like, to know all the things. Like, I, I mean, we, I would go to a random um, session and then just pull aside and talk to this girl. And, like, like, one girl was from, I don't even know where she was, to be honest. I know her name was Haley. But we just shared, like, our entire, like, testimonies. And, like, she was sharing all this stuff with me. And it was just, like, wow. I can, you know, Satan wants me to feel like my sin is, like, special and, like, deep, like, different than other people's, and I can't share it, but it's just we all are fighting the same fight. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to just leave you guys with, like, one of my favorite quotes it, um, from one of the lessons. It was called Jesus is the Answer, uh, which is true, um, but it says, we're saved just as much on our bad days as our good days because you have someone who stood in your place. Let that motivate us to serve him and help someone else know him. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to share about Orlando. So my family was picked up at 5.30 a.m. on that Wednesday for the family conference. We got to uh, Florida 11 hours later. Got in our hotel room, tried to shovel down our dinner, and got into the uh, conference room, the big conference room, by uh, 7 o'clock. So if I'm going to be real with you, I wasn't that excited at that point in time. <laughs> To be in a dark room singing unfamiliar songs. 
Um, but we did that for two hours, and uh, the, next, the next morning was uh, much better. I was able to see some old friends and make some new ones. You know, sometimes, in, in, at least for me as a Christian, I can feel like I'm going through challenges and no one understands, right? No one knows what I'm going through. No one can relate to me. You know, one thing that you realize when you're in a large group of Christians like that is you get a stronger sense of God's presence, and also you remember that you're not alone. There's probably someone there that's going through something similar. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, You are the body of the anointed one, and each one of you is a unique and vital part of it. You know, one of the central messages I got, and it was really cool because there was different tracks that were set up based on kind of your stage of life. And one of the things that, uh, one of the classes that really inspired me was on the topic of recovery. And one of the couple that gave it, uh, there was three people, Roger and Marshall Lamb, who have two adult children who have passed away, and Tim Summerlin, who's a therapist in Colorado. But one of the points that was emphasized was, All of us need a safe place that we can share our deepest thoughts, our deepest hurts, and for someone on the other end just to listen. And that that was a huge thing. It was not to correct you, not to teach you, but just to sit there and listen. And he was kind of going through that, how difficult that is to do, just to listen to someone and, and really try to understand what they're going through. You know, as I age physically and spiritually, the greater I see this need in myself and others, and in our small group. You know, in Orlando, I was able to meet in person with a brother who I've used for with Christian coaching for the past two years. And that was the first time we've met in person. We've met virtually the last two years. We talk on the phone. We meet on Zoom sometimes. He lives on the East Coast. But I was introduced him in 2016 back at the REACH conference in St. Louis. And for the last two years, we've met... So with that being said, I'd encourage you to listen to the lessons. I think they're going to be available online. Listen to the ones that you feel like are relevant to you, but also seek out the resources and the people that can help you because there's a lot of people out there that can probably relate to what you're going through, and maybe not everyone here can. So seek that out and get the the help you need on your spiritual journey. Thank you. The, uh, the conference was amazing, and I think, um, like several shared, I, I, love, uh, I love some of the youth up here sharing about it. it. It felt youthful. It felt like, you know, we were praying that this conference, as one of the people who've, this is the first conference I've been to like this where I didn't plan the music, and um, I, I, they asked me if I would like to plan it. I was like, I should not be the one that does it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 50s now, and there should be the younger people do it. So the young people did all the music. The way that the whole conference started was like, I found out later there was something that went wrong and this is why it went so long, but like the, the, the way that the conference started was all the lights go down and then you, you saw that, show that, show that, uh, that stage again. So, so all the lights go down and then there's like lasers and, and like smoke and fog and, and the, there's just a drummer and you can see the drummer and he has the kick drum, double kick drum. And he's like, just making all this noise on the drums. Felt like forever. And then all these lights are going and whatever. And like uh, Doug Wenz was like, uh, you look at Doug Wenz and he's, he goes, oh, 
I'm gonna have a seizure, you know? And um, I was joking with, with Marshall Mead, it's like, young people are in charge now, ah! Uh, but it kind of felt like that, you know? It felt like this is, this is the young people are, are, are leading the way. I mean, they were doing a lot of the speaking, doing a lot of the sharing, a lot of the classes, a lot of even the, the, the main talks were by, you know, some of the main talks were by people I looked up to, their kids now are like in the ministry and they're the ones doing the main talk. You know, it was just really, really cool. And, uh, you know, to, to, to see that, that's what we want in the churches to be multi-generational. And I remember coming out a couple of the times. So I would go into this like big dark room Mark was talking about, like seven every morning and get done about 7 p.m. every night. But I came out one, one night, and there was just young people for as far as I could see. And Dave Blanco said, well, when you get older, everybody's young. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, they were legitimate. Like, the campus and teens, you know, just this whole atrium was just full of college student-age people and, and hanging out and being together. And, you know, one, the, the, the campus stuff all kind of ended Wednesday night, and so they were all hanging out with each other. Cora came back to the room at like 5 in the morning <laughs> on, on, on Thursday morning, but we loved it. I mean, that was like, amen, because she's hanging out with disciples, and it's safe, and it's fun, and it's fellowship. It was a really amazing, amazing time. So, um, you know, if you were not able to go in person, or if you were not able to be a part of it virtually, I want to let you know it's not too late. You can still sign up. You can still participate in all the virtual content. It's $150, uh, but it's totally worth it, uh, in my view. Um, there's so, I mean, again, it was nine days of stuff. So there's, I don't know, 50, 100 classes you could choose from and, and, and go through in video. I want to show you a quick clip of uh, just a kind of a moment there um, that I was a part of, which was cool. Uh, just, it's, it's forward a couple slides, I think. Yeah, right there. Hear them sing. Hear them sing. You can just get a sense of the crowd a little bit. That's a song that my friend Tony Martin and I wrote so many years ago. We just had no idea that, you know, this is what it would become someday. And it was just so cool to, to see. So on the videos, you can get a sense of being there. Like it feels like you're there a little bit because there's all the, they, they, they did a great job with the camera of kind of, seeing who's there and you have a lot of shots of the audience and stuff. It's not just like the static camera looking at the stage, you know what I mean? So, so you kind of feel like you're there uh, for some, because I wasn't able to participate in it, a lot of it, because I was backstage or whatever. So I've been watching the content too and being like, it's really fun. So I know it's a lot of investment. To go in person obviously was a ton of investment, but if you weren't able to go in person, I just want to encourage you to, to invest the $150 and just be a part of it with, with the rest of us. You go to uh, worlddiscipleshipsummit.com or just Google World Discipleship Summit and you find it and you just register just as a virtual uh, attendee and you can do that. But uh, as I mentioned, I want to talk about the, 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 these two words, feast and family. And, and, and this, what this made me think of, this being together for those, all of that time, is this is something that God's people did a lot in Scripture. Uh, and if you're familiar with the story of, of the people of God in the Old Testament, they would have these feasts or these festivals where they would come together often for a week at a time from all over, travel, come together. I mean, the expense was immense to just try to be there and be together. It was probably not always, it might have been uncomfortable. The travel was probably difficult. Uh, one of the, the festivals, they would stay in a tent for seven days 
You know, so you pack up your whole family, you make your own booth, and then you live in that booth for seven days. It was to remind God's people of something. You know, that's not exactly convenient, or, but, but there's, why did God do that? Why did God have all these feasts at uh, these different times of, of year? And critical things happen at these feasts. For example, uh, the Passover feast is when Jesus was, uh, died and was crucified and raised from, from the dead. All that happened around, surrounding the Passover feast. And then several weeks later, the birth of the church, uh, the beginning of Uh, of the spread of Christianity started at another festival, which was Pentecost. All these different things happened at these key moments, and they were important. I want to show you the scripture in uh, Exodus 13. When when God is first giving his people these different festivals they would have, he said this, uh, says this for Moses to tell the people, this observance, and he's talking about Passover here, will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So that's it right there. That's the reason for these times. It's a reminder. It's a reminder of our identity. It's a reminder of who God is, and it's a reminder of who we are as the people of God. And, and from the very beginning, God designed for us to be, for there to be this God's place, God's presence, and God's people. Right there in the beginning of the book of Genesis, right? He had his people, he had his place, he had his presence. And then Satan worked to, to ruin that. Satan worked to, to bring division. But God is all about bringing us back together, God's people, God's place, God's presence. And that's what feasting, spiritual feasting like this reminds us of. It reminds us of our identity and who we are as God's people. I've been studying uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and going through the Bible Project app, which is really, really great, really recommend it. A lot of great content in there. And um, they, uh, they spend a lot of time in this section that I normally don't really like, and that is the book of Leviticus. You know, I got to be honest, that's one of those I just, if I'm reading the Bible in a year or something and I got to read it, I'll just, uh, okay, I'll grin and bear it and just try to breeze through it, you know, talking about gross stuff, you know, like skin, and if it's, your skin turns white, you do this, or if it's oozing, you do that, and you just kind of, it's gross, you know, and all of these different offerings and all these different, but it's interesting because the narrative of Scripture uh, it, it, it's going and it's going and it's happening, whatever. And, and then they get to this spot at the base of Sinai. And they're there for a whole year. And a lot of the text is in that spot, in that place of, of God's people there at the foot of Sinai. And Leviticus is actually right there in the middle of this, uh, this literary de, de, uh, kind of literary design that God has put into this, the, the text. And, and they go through this in the Bible Project. It's really interesting how... Genesis and Deuteronomy have all of these things that are kind of similar. And Exodus and Numbers reflect each other. And then Leviticus is right in the middle. And right in the middle of all of this, kind of this, this literary design of what God is trying to teach through his scriptures, the, the, the Torah, uh, is, is this idea in Exodus 19. It says in Exodus 19, verse 5, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant... Then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. 
So God spends a lot of time trying to help his people understand you are a special treasured possession. You are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. What's their role? What's the role of a priest? It's to intercede and to connect someone to the God. You know, the priest priest was was something that was in the ancient world that then God says, you're all going to be priests. Your role is going to be to show Yahweh, the God of Israel, to the whole world. And so you are going to be the special, the special holy nation. Now, those of us who've been around for a while, you you look at that, that verse and that might seem familiar. Right? Because why does that seem familiar? Well, look at this verse in 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Obviously, Peter is quoting that verse. He's referencing that verse because it's three out of three of those things. A holy nation, a royal priesthood, and a special possession, God's treasured possession. So not only in the Old Testament, there at Sinai, the foot of Sinai, these people that were called out of slavery in Egypt and given a new nation, a new role, that role, that it applies to us today. It applies to the church. It applies to us as followers of Jesus. We've been grafted in to a bigger story of what God's doing in the world and how God's bringing his salvation to all nations. We're a part of that. We have this identity, that same identity. And so times of feasting, times of fellowship, times like that World Discipleship Summit, and even like Sunday gatherings like today, are there to remind us of that role and to to remind us of that identity. We're going to be beginning a new series uh, called Citizens of Heaven. And uh, starting, starting with this kind of kickoff week and then over the next several week, weeks. And the idea of this series is a reminder, again, of that identity of who we are as God's special people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God. We've been called out of darkness and we've been put into the kingdom of light. Not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, but because of who God is. Yes. And so the Bible teaches that in Colossians 3, it says, you died and your life is now hidden with God. You died, your life is now hidden with God. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you died to your old life, right? You were buried with him in baptism. You were raised to a new life. So, so in, this, in this spiritual sense, your life is now somewhere else, Paul says to the, the church in Colossians. And so you're, you're still here, but you're also up there. How does that work? And, and, and it's the same as the kingdom of God in that the kingdom of God is already in some ways, but it's also not yet in some ways. So there's this kind of, we're living in this in-between time, this sort of tension time, where we, our, our reality, our spirituality, what we're looking for is something that's not of this world. It's something that's not yet. But we're here, so what do we do while we're here? We're working towards that, and we're, we're bringing the kingdom to those around us, and we're bringing peace and shalom to every environment that we're in, and we're representing Jesus at our work or our school or our neighborhood or whatever environment we're in, it's like we're, we're, we're kind of opening the door to this new reality because we're citizens of heaven. And so as disciples of Jesus, whatever our nation of origin is, like at this conference, there's people from 95 different countries. Whatever our nation is, we represent our nation. We love our nation. We're grateful. I'm grateful to be an American, but I'm also a disciple of Jesus. And I'm a disciple of Jesus first. Like that's a deeper, more real reality. That'll last forever. America might not last forever. I mean, most nations don't, right? I love this country, I want it to last, but I have a deeper identity. And so there's this kind of dual citizenship that we all have. And if you are, if you've ever, how many of you guys have gone to like another country where there was not many Americans? 
when you see another American, aren't you like, oh, <laughs> you know, can I talk to you? Because I can't talk to you, especially if you're somewhere where like people don't speak the language, you know, um, I, we, we were down in Guadalajara for a while and Guadalajara is not, it's not like a tourist destination. We were down there to do some church stuff and nobody spoke English and we don't speak any Spanish. And you just feel like out of place, you know? And, and people were nice and everything, but you just feel, but you see another American, you're like, oh, somebody I can talk to. And that's what it's like to be part of this, a citizen of heaven. You know, when you connect with somebody else who's a disciple of Jesus, like sold out disciple, you know, like they, 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 they've given their all to follow Jesus. You just have this connection, like, the, like they were talking about at the discipleship summit. And so we want to uh, spend some time talking about that in our identity in Christ over the, over the weeks ahead. The beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible all end, both end in the same way, of this God's presence, God's people, and God's place. And, and, and so the, these times of feasting or times of being together are a reminder. They're pointing towards that. There's a, there's a spiritual reality. So the last thing I want to share here is this. Uh, this is an image of a banquet. And uh, that's actually probably more of a uh, Middle Ages banquet. But uh, the, the banquet is an image that Jesus used to describe the kingdom, to describe the church, a wedding banquet. So that as when we come together, it's like we are uh, participating in a wedding banquet where the king has invited everyone to come to this banquet, but people don't want to come for some reason. And, and so they turn, turn away his servants who are inviting him, inviting them to come, and, and, and he tells the servants, just go out there and tell everybody, everybody is invited to my banquet. But there's this weird irony that people don't want to come. And uh, I, I think that Jesus gave that analogy to say that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's this incredible thing. We get to partner with God. We get to be a part of what God's doing in the world. We get to go to heaven and be with him forever. But people don't want to do it. And so I, I like that. I like to be reminded of that because sometimes I feel like, am I the weird one? You know, am I? You know, you talk to people about your you're going to church or when we were on sabbatical, we 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 uh, sometimes we would do the live stream when we go for a hike or something. And it's like there's people everywhere on the hike, like nobody's in church in our city. You know what I mean? Like everybody's out on the hikes and we're like, wow, are we the weird ones? You know, why are we going to church? You know what I mean? And, and so it's good to be reminded. No, this is a, a privilege to belong to God's people. This is amazing. It's a wedding banquet. I just have to be reminded of that sometimes. This is a feast. It's, you know, kind of setting my mind like this is incredible what I get to be a part of. And, and everybody wants what I'm a part of in that I belong to something that's bigger than myself. I can know others and really be known myself. I, can, I, I don't have to like prove anything to anybody. I'm okay being me. You know, like God loves me for who I am. Jesus pays the price for my sin, and, and so I can, and I can just keep improving and proving and being the, be the best version of myself all empowered by the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's incredible to be a follower of Jesus, but Satan tries to taint it. Satan tries to steal our joy. He tries to take away the celebration factor. This should be a feast every time we come together on Sunday. Like, what a blast to be together. What an awesome thing we get to, to be together. And in fact, it was even called a love feast uh, when, when the, the Christians would come together. The book of Jude calls it a love feast because they would have a meal together, the, the communion meal we're going to have here in a minute. And so I just want to remind you of that, that this should be a celebration. This should be an awesome time every time we come together on Sunday. Like, like come every, every Sunday we're together, come in going, man, I'm ready to party. 
man, I'm ready to live it up. I'm ready to have a great time. I'm ready to, this is a banquet feast. I'm coming here to have a great time. My wife and I were at a quinceanera last night. I don't, I don't know if I said that right. Quinceanera? Okay. Uh, I, I, this is the first time I've ever been to one. It was uh, my son Jameson's girlfriend's fi- uh, sister. Uh, and man, that was a party. You know, how many of you guys have been to one of those before? Okay, I've never been to one. And, uh, you know, it, it was supposed to, it, the th- invitation said it starts at five. So I got there at five. I was like the first one there. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, people are kind of like, oh, you're here, you know? Well, you can go ahead and get food if you want. And we're like, oh, we're fine, we're fine. So we're just kind of sitting around for a while. People start rolling in six, 6.30, and it's getting going, you know? And then, um, and then, man, it just, it was just like the party was going up, 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 up. Finally, like, we, it looked like it was just going to be, uh, okay, now it's just dancing, you know, that just kind of freeform dancing. And everybody knew the songs, and they're all doing the moves, and they know them all. It was, it was really fun. The, the music, I mean, it was like thumping my chest, you know, it was so loud. And we thought, okay, it's just going to kind of just be this music till the end. And... Um, about 9.30 or so, a nine-foot-tall robot walks in. You know, this man on stilts in this robot costume. So then the 15-year-old is dancing with the robot, and then there's this other guy with this giant head of a Puerto Rican singer is, is, comes in, and then everybody puts on these crazy hats, and everybody has, like, five-foot-tall balloons. And, I mean, it was just amazing party. You know, that's, like, 10 o'clock at night. You know, the thing started at 5. And... Um, I was like, we need to bring some of that into the church. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. Some, I'm going to see if I can hire that nine-foot-tall robot man to come in or get those five-foot-tall balloons or something. But, but that's the spirit of the church. It's feast. It's fellowship. It's family. And, and, it, and, and that's, that we, we need to, to bring that to every Sunday. So before we take communion, we get to have a treat. We get to hear from a brother who is in our fellowship, but was grew up in another fellowship of our church in another part of the world, another uh, continent of the world. And so I'm going to let him share uh, a little bit of his story. He's going to share his testimony and then uh, pray for us for communion. So uh, let's welcome Dele up here. We'll, 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 there he is. Thanks, brother. Good morning, church. Uh, sitting back there, my heart was raising. <laughs> yeah, but I want to thank the church for the opportunity to be able to share my uh, testimony today. And I'm very grateful. My name is uh, Dele, and I'll be sharing my testimony this morning. Okay. Um, I've been part of the. Ch- uh, I've, been, I've been going to our church since the age of nine, and which I would probably say I'm a kingdom kid. <laughs> I started going to the uh, ICOC Lagos Nigerian Church when my older brother Ayo was baptized in 1993. Wow. I, I would usually go with him with my older brother to uh, hang out with other pretty things in the church because I, I look forward to that every time. It was fun, and it was something I look forward to. Shortly after my 
brother Ayo became a disciple, our house uh, became the temple court for disciples to meet together. You know, after work, you know, people will, disciples will come around to study with visitors and even go ahead and in groups to evangelize. You know, I or my brother changed a lot. You know, that my father, who I say was a free thinker, um, started reading the Bible. You know, but before he could make a decision to, you know, start studying the Bible, he, he passed away in 1996. You know, my brother's life impacted a lot of people, including one of my sisters, and she also became a disciple in 1999, six years after my brother. Uh, fast forward in year 2000, I started studying the Bible. On getting to the study about the cross of Jesus, it truly broke me. And I, I did, you know, remember while I was going through that study, how I felt, you know, for someone who took, you know, all the, the beatings and everything all because of me, so I could have a relationship with him. That helped me to, to be able to um, make that decision to become a disciple. It helped me to see how much God loved me and what he was willing to go through for me to reconcile him, me to him. I was in fears for the entire study and this encouraged me. And I got baptized May 28th of year 2000, Amen. where I confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Amen. I was in 12th grade when I got baptized. I learned to set myself apart and really lived a different lifestyle. My high school friends uh, saw the difference in me and respected that I couldn't do the same thing I used to do with them, in which I truly appreciated. Immediately after graduating from high school, I tried to get admission into college in Lagos, Nigeria, you know, where we had uh, stronger churches, but was unsuccessful. Uh, a few years later, I finally got admitted to a college, but fortunately, it was an out of state school uh, where there was no ICOC church there. It was pretty intense and difficult to stay faithful you know, where there was no disciple. You know, of course, my brother Ayo you know, would always reach out to me, call me, and even with other disciples that were discipling me you know, then. In my second year in college, I got involved uh, with a lady and I was immoral. As if my brother knew something was up, every time he would call me and say, Daily, don't let any girl make you lose your salvation. But I couldn't tell him because I was wrapped in guilt. After my second year of college was over, I had to go for an internship with a company in Lagos before I could complete my academic program. I got so preoccupied with my internship that I even stopped opening up to friends. And any time I would go to church, I would leave immediately after service. Also, it wasn't a good uh, year for the church. You know, we were going through uh, 
serious challenges as a church at that time. So it was, Satan used that as a perfect opportunity for me to hide. When my internship was over, I had to go back to school. Unfortunately, I was still talking to that girl. A year later, I resumed back to school. The Lagos Church planted a church in the state where I was. I started attending the new planted church. Of course, even the brother, the family that was leading the church, I knew them growing up. Before I knew it, I was convicted by my double life, and I got open with the couple leading the church. I got the help that I needed and got restored. Before being restored, I apologized to the lady and told her I was living a double standard life and that now I made the decision to to retrace myself back to God. At first, she was not happy about my decision, but was willing to meet the church leader's wife and she studied the Bible and became a disciple as well. I left college after graduation as it was the custom in Nigeria after college you have to start the the government for a year. So I finally moved back to Lagos after serving the government. Because of my experience uh, going to college where there was no church and being cut off from the body of, of Christ, it helped me how important the body of Christ is and how we help each other to stay faithful and away from temptation. This, was, this conviction prompted me to reach out to the church in Oklahoma before I relocated to the U.S. for continued study in 2014. I'm grateful to God for his continued mercy in my life and for giving me a second chance. Thank you for letting me share my story. We'll be praying for the communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for such a time as this. Thank you, O Lord God, for the privilege, God, to be able to be a partaker of the communion. You said we should do this in remembrance of you. You know, Father, the the bread represents your broken body. Why the blood the, the wine represents your blood that you shared on the cross? You know, Father, as we continue to take this, God, we remember all the sacrifices you made for us, God. Without you making all the sacrifices, we will not even be able to be here. You know, Father, we appreciate you. We pray, God, that the, you'd help us, God, to continue to remember you and to do the right thing and continue to live for you, God. Thank you, God, for everything. We appreciate you, God, for who you are, what you've done for us, and what you continue to do. We give you all the glory. It's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 